Well, good morning again. Uh, welcome to Wildwood Christian Church. Especially those of you who are online, we welcome you today joining us. My name is Doug Vernon. I'm the senior minister here, and we're glad that you're a part of our service, um, honoring God and letting Him work on your heart and your life. And if you, uh, this is your first time with us, as Patty shared, uh, we would uh, love to be able to connect with you. And so if you're in person here, you can fill out the connect card and drop it in the offering box back there. Or whether you're in person online, you can text that word welcome to 636-206-8654. And we want to share some more information with you about our church. But we know every single week we have new people who join us online. And so thank you for being a part of this day. My guess is that most of you have been following the circumstances and the situation in Afghanistan over these last three, four weeks. Um, there is no doubt that to be a Christian in Afghanistan means you have to be all in. I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a follower of Jesus in a place like that. Do you know, even before the Taliban took over Afghanistan, it was listed only second behind North Korea by this group called the Open Door, the World Watch List, second behind North Korea is the most dangerous place to be a Christian in, in nations across the world. There's a top 50 watch list that they have to try to help encourage Christians in that kind of environment. In fact, um, one person said this, that Christi uh, conversion is considered in the Taliban's eyes to be apostasy that must be punished with death. So there are 340 million Christians across the world who are in places in which their life is at risk, that they are persecuted for their faith. I just can't even fathom that. But one of the things that's happened to me over the last you know, three or four weeks, and Patty and I have talked about this at different times, is you know, what does it say about my commitment and faith in Jesus Christ? Because, you know, I've never faced persecution like that, ever. I mean, yeah, I've made a couple of sacrifices as a pastor, but I mean, to imagine being in an environment in which, I mean, if we were to do this, you know, we, we, would, all, we would all die. To be in a place like that, and so it, it made me really begin to reflect and consider and think about my own walk with Jesus Christ and really ask myself the question, if I was in that kind of environment, would I be a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, would I be able to really stand up for Jesus? If someone came along and put a gun to my head or, or a sword to my throat and said, denounce Christ or die, or even worse yet, if they were to do that to somebody in my family, what, what would I do in that kind of environment? And my guess is that that is something maybe you've wrestled a little bit with, right? It's like... In America, we have such great blessings in regard to uh, the ability to have freedom of our faith, and, and yet in countries like that, and I mean, when you talk about 340 million Christians who face that kind of stuff in their life, it, it, asks, it causes us to ask the question, well, what, what would we do, right? What would we do in that kind of an environment? It's almost like Jesus knows that we have to periodically come face to face with what it really is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, 
And so I think that's why several times in Scripture he really challenges us. He says, you know what? I'm not looking for followers who when the heat's turned up, they turn tail and they run. But I need people who are committed to me absolutely no matter what. People who are truly all in. So in this series that we're in right now, entitled All In, A Disciple of Jesus, we're talking about not just what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, we're talking about what does Jesus really expect of us? Because, you know, as you go through, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, as we look through that, it, you can't help but see the passages that talk about, in which Jesus speaks about, you know, what it is to really be a follower of his, to really be committed to him. And they're hard passages. You know, last week we talked about, if you don't deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him, you can't be his disciple. You can't be a follower of, her, of his and today's passage is very challenging. And so as we go through these passages, and we've got one more next week that, again, is very challenging. As we go through these passages, it really causes us to have to reflect and think, all right, you know, if, if I'm already a follower of Jesus, I need to do some evaluating, right? And if I'm not a follower of Jesus, I really need to understand what he expects of me. So last week, earlier in Luke chapter 9, you know, we said, okay, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, what do we do? We get up every day and we think about our agenda and what we want to get done in that day. And then what do we do with our agenda? We take it and we wad it up. And where do we put it? In, in the trash. We put it in the trash because it's like, okay, Jesus, what do you want for me to do this day? And today, we talk about this idea of priorities. We, we see Jesus really pushing us in this idea of priority that above all other things in our life. So when we have you know, decisions to make in our life, big ones and small ones, about our present and about our future, about our family, about our career, when we have these kind of decisions and we weigh them out between what we want and what Jesus wants, to really be a follower of Jesus Christ means Jesus always wins. And so here's where we're kind of going today, and it's simply this, to, to follow this call of Jesus Christ, right? The call to follow him, that takes priority over everything else. Everything else. No matter what it is you can name and I can name, it takes priority over, over everything else. And so we're going to see Jesus really up the stakes in regard to us being a follower of him. So I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is where we're at. We're starting in verse um, 57 today. And so if, uh, there's a Bible in the seats in front of you. You can turn your phone or your tablet on. Those of you who are online, there's a Bible tab there. Hopefully you've opened your Bible. We'll have it on the screen. But I want to read this passage, and we're going to look at these encounters that Jesus has with some people and we're going to come back to that idea is, okay, what about me as a follower of Jesus Christ? So let me read this. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So three different times 
we see, you know, I will follow you or follow me or I will follow you. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We talked about this last week, but it's such an important thing to get in our minds. So it, to be a follower of Jesus is a person who says yes to being his disciple, who's who, a person who gives their life to Jesus Christ. Um, we use the term who is a Christian, right? We have said yes to Jesus Christ. He's the one that we truly want to follow. And so we talk about what is it to be a Christian? That's to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's what's interesting, and I didn't know that till I was studying this week. Jesus never used the word Christian. Now he would describe us as being disciples, or he would talk about us following him. We would, he would say, come after me. But he never used the word Christian. In fact, the word Christian is only used three times in the whole New Testament. The first time it is used is in Acts 11, in which it says the, the disciples were first called Christians in the city of Antioch. And so that's a very interesting thing there. But the um, most scholars agree that the word Christian didn't come from the Christian community. It came from the outside. Uh, a Christian was one who belonged to Christ, which is a great term, right? But it was probably used as a derogatory term. Oh, you're a Christian. You're one of those Christians. You were on one of those who belonged to Christ. In fact, Peter is only the third use of it in the whole New Testament, and Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.16. He says, however, if you suffer, can you put that up there for me, Joey, 1 Peter? If you suffer as a Christian, what does it say? Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. If you suffer as a, a Christian, oh, you're one of those Christians. And so it was probably used derogatory against Christians. And yet, it's, it's not really the name as much as when Jesus talks about us following him, what does he expect, right? What is his demands of us? If we really want to be a follower of his, what does Jesus expect? And so Luke provides three different encounters with people who are all in the midst of following Jesus, right? Making this decision. So encounter number one is Luke 9, beginning in verse 57. They were walking along the road now, where were they walking to? Well, they, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They were walking along the road. A man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So the first thing you notice, I notice here is Jesus has a convert. Some guy comes up to him, it's decision time, and he steps forward and he says, I I'm going to follow you, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a great thing, Right? Except it's almost like Jesus said, wait a minute, not, not, not too fast. I don't know if Jesus knows his heart or maybe Jesus just knows all of our hearts, right? He says not too fast, but what does he say there in verse 58? Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So what does Jesus mean when he says that? Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What? Bottom line, what he's saying is, this world is not my home. In fact, Jesus is just about to find out how hostile this world is to him. Jesus, as I mentioned, is on his way to Jerusalem. If you look about six or seven verses before this, you find Jesus has resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows where he's going. He knows he's going to be executed, right? And so Jesus is saying, look, my priority on this earth is not my comfort, but it's your freedom. 
I'm a misfit here in this world. I don't have any possessions. I don't have a place to lay my head. And he's not complaining. He's just presenting the reality of what is going on in his life. Basically, Jesus is saying, I don't belong here. This world is not my home. And in essence, he's saying, if you want to follow me, that's the lot that you can expect in your life as well. That you'll be a misfit, that this world is not your home. I think it really speaks to our priorities in life. Is my priority more about Doug's comfort or Doug's commitment to Jesus? Is your priority more about your comfort or your commitment to Jesus? I think a couple of ways we kind of can evaluate that is, is think about this week that's coming up, all right? Now, you got a day off tomorrow. At least some of you have a day off, right? So what's your week look like? Is your week, is my week so busy that I really have to work to fit Jesus into my week? Is it more a matter of, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm going to have time, you know, to spend with Jesus this week. Do I have to fit Jesus into my week? If that's the case, the reality is the comfort of this life is way more important to me than my relationship and my commitment to Jesus Christ. Do I feel more like a misfit in this world? Or am I so comfortable living here in West County and the things that we enjoy? Am I so comfortable here that, you know what? I mean, heaven? I mean, how can it be any better than what we enjoy right now? Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. My citizenship is in heaven. So here's the question for us. Do we really feel like our citizenship is in heaven? Is that where our loyalty, that's the idea. Am I loyal to heaven above all things? Do you know that there's no such thing as dual citizenship when it comes to heaven? You're a citizen of heaven and doesn't matter what country you live in, that is not where your primary loyalty lies. So if I'm a citizen of heaven, that means, you know what, my loyalty does not lie to America. It, it, it lies with heaven. And that's a challenging thing, isn't it? Over the last few months and some of the stuff that we've gone through and the things that we've dealt with and seen, it's like, you know what, where, where do I really see my loyalty? I am a citizen of heaven. Jesus is saying, look, i got no place to lay my head. This world is not my home. I'm not here for comfort. I'm here for the commitment that I have to Jesus Christ. And so he's looking at all of us and he's saying to us, what is the primary goal or priority in your life? Is it your comfort or is it my commitment? You know, do I consider my citizenship to be in heaven? And counter number two is starting there in verse 59. So Jesus says to another man, follow me. But this guy replied, he says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting, and you probably notice it, is two people say, I want to follow you, but this one in the middle, Jesus looks at this guy and says, I want you to follow me. He turns to him and invites him to do that. And it's like, some people, when they follow Jesus, do it because Jesus really pulls a puts a pull on their heart. Some of you made that decision to follow Jesus because it was just like, almost like you couldn't even resist that, right? But others, 
made a decision to follow Jesus because of some of the circumstances and the situation in your life that led you to a point where you said, you know what, I desperately need Jesus Christ. Either way, the invitation is open to everyone. Jesus' death on the cross was to save the sins of the whole world, whether it's something where we make that decision or God makes that decision. In other words, there's no such thing as limited atonement. Jesus Christ's blood was shed on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Everyone has the opportunity to be saved. And yet Jesus is saying to us in this passage here, it's like that decision to follow him can't be fickle. So, I think this is the most challenging statement that he makes here. He says there, you know, the guy wants to go bury his father, and Jesus says in verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. That's a real sensitive statement, isn't it? Just let the dead bury their own dead. Did he say it sarcastically, you know? This guy says, I need to go bury my father. And it's like, oh, just let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, what, what is going on with Jesus in this particular statement? Is he literally saying, don't bury your parents? Don't have anything to do with that? You know, is this literal or is this hyperbole? So hyperbole would be something like this. I haven't seen you in ages. Or I have a million things to do this week. Or if I don't buy that dress, I'm going to die Or, I'm going to starve to death, or I've walked a million miles today. I am so hungry I could eat a horse. That sermon went on forever. So what is Jesus doing? Is he exaggerating and using hyperbole? Or is Jesus being literal here in this? So this week in the things I studied, there were basically three options. Option number one is Jesus is being literal. Don't go bury your parents. Like he's saying, you know what? He's dead. There's no hope for him at this point. Pay attention to those people who are living. Literally, he's saying, you need to preach to people who are living. You need to talk to them about the kingdom of God because the dead are gone. Option number two is Jesus knows this guy is really just delaying things. He's just putting it off. Because when most of the commentators believe that when um, you bury your parent, which is a very sacred thing in Judaism, it probably was a year-long process. In other words, there was all these different parts that went into it. His dad may not even have been dead yet, but in other words, what he was literally saying, he said, let me go back and first bury my father. He was, he was just basically procrastinating. He's putting it off. It's like, you know, I want to do that, but I got some other things that I need to take care of first. Um, when it's convenient, then, then I'll, okay, I'll get that stuff done, and then I'll go follow you, Jesus. And, of course, the third option is he was using hyperbole. He wasn't saying, don't bury your parents. Again, that was a very important thing in Judaism. Basically, what he's saying is you need to make sure you have your priorities straight that I am more important than even the closest, most intimate, important relationships that you have in your life. So the question that we have to wrestle with in this second encounter is this. Is Jesus more important than your family? That's a hard one, isn't it? Is Jesus more important than 
our family. I remember the time my wife told me she loved Jesus more than she loved me. That's hard to hear that there's another guy that your wife loves more than you. I mean, that, that's a challenging one. And, and depending upon your family dynamics, it can even be more difficult, right? I mean, for some people to spend time with their family kind of causes their values to kind of slide a little bit, right? It makes it a little more difficult to live for Christ. Or can I talk to my family about Jesus, or is that just too embarrassing or too difficult of a subject to bring up? You know, can I bring myself to do that? I mean, it's what Jesus wants to know is, is he more important than even the most intimate of relationships that we have in this world? And that's, that's a tough one, right? That's, that's a challenging one for us to wrestle with. Then we got the third encounter. So Jesus got another guy, verse uh, four, or 61, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So he says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. It's always dangerous when you add that but word into the sentence there. I'll do this for you, Jesus, but... My dad never let us say the word but when we were growing up. He thought that was a terrible word for us to say. And so you don't want to say that to Jesus. Jesus, I'll do what you want, but. And so here's this guy. Jesus, I, I, you know what? I really, really want to follow you, but I need to go back and say goodbye to my family, which seems like an okay thing, right? But what does Jesus say to this guy? Verse 62, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saying there? Well, some, and you may, I don't know if your Bible has those little uh, references, scripture references there. Some of you, some think that Jesus is referring back to Elijah and Elisha in 1 Kings 19, in which um, Elisha is making the call to Elijah to follow him, and he says, well, I need to go back and say goodbye to my family, and the other guy's like offended at that. But more than likely, what's happening here is this is a guy um, who can't get let go of the past. This is a guy who really would represent somebody who, I mean, literally, he grabs hold of the plow. In other words, he said yes to Jesus Christ, but then he says, but, you know, wait a minute. First, I need to go back and I need to say goodbye to my family. In other words, there's stuff that I still got to take care of back here. There's things that are still important to me back here. It's like he's vacillating. He's made the decision, but oh no, I'm not quite sure. It's like he's double-minded. It's, it's like there's something in the past that he can't let go of. And so he keeps looking back. And again, Jesus says, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, it's an interesting use of the word. You know, this guy wants to go back, and Jesus says, don't look back. And there are times in Scripture, for example, Lot's wife in the Old Testament, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, and so he said, angel says, you guys need to get out of here. And so Lot takes, you know, his family, but what happens is that as they're fleeing his wife longingly looks back to, oh no, my good dining room furniture back there, or my friends, or my, I, you know, I don't know what it is that caused her to look back, 
but she would turn into a pillar of salt. Or you look at the nation of Israel after they left Egypt. I mean, how many different times did they whine and complain about what they left in Egypt if we could only go back to Egypt? All those wonderful things that we enjoyed back there. What Jesus is saying is that those who cling to the past, those who can't let go of stuff in the past, he uses that example. Now, I've never plowed with like oxen in front of me, probably nobody else has in here, but maybe you've plowed in some other way. But it's a pretty easy picture to get in your mind, isn't it? It's like no one puts the hands to the plow, so you grab hold of the plow, you know, you got the lead here and you got the oxen who are all out in front of you and you're going along and what would happen to you as you start looking over your shoulder it's like you know you're going to pull that thing it's it you're going to get off course no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back and he uses that phrase is fit for the kingdom of god i mean you just don't fit into god's kingdom it's all about focusing our eyes on what is ahead which is Jesus Christ, that we seek him with everything that we possibly can. And so, what in your life, in your past, keeps pulling you back? What keeps causing you to kind of turn back? Maybe longingly, you know, maybe things that you just can't seem to let go that's in the past. What is it in your life that's pulling you back into that? You need to hear Jesus' words. I need to hear Jesus' words. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I mean, these are such serious and significant demands that Jesus makes of us here. Why, why does Jesus make such harsh demands of us? I think Jesus knows that the road ahead as a, for a believer is rough. I mean, in that day, it was very challenging. I mean, what was Jesus about to face? He was about to face his own death. And for some people, the demand of this road ahead is just too difficult. They, they can't make that choice. Back in the 60s, there was a Lord Kenneth Clark who did a British show called Civilization. But in his own autobiography, he tells the fact that he almost made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. He says he admitted that while visiting a beautiful church, he had what he believed to be an overwhelming religious experience. And he wrote this. He says, My whole being was irritated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I have ever known before. But the flood of grace, as he described it, caused a problem within him. He says if he allowed himself to be influenced by it, he knew he would have to change. He says his family might think that he had lost his mind, and maybe that intense joy that he felt at that moment would prove to be an illusion. And so he concluded this, <clears throat> I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. Jesus knows that the way ahead of us is rough. And yet the reward for following Jesus is amazing. And why would Jesus want to have anything to do with us anyway? Even on our best days, we are such sinners. Why, <clears throat> Jesus who is God, why would he even want to bother with us? I mean, really, think about it. Why would he, who created everything and could recreate everything, why would Jesus even bother with us? 
It's because he knew how helpless and hopeless we were without him, and he knew that he was the only one that could open the door to life. And not only to life, but he's the only one who could open the door to real life. Because the reward of following Jesus makes what we think we won in the past pale in comparison to what God can do in your life and in my heart because of what Jesus Christ does in us. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 2.9. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, those are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We can't think it, we can't see it, we can't imagine the unbelievable things that God has in store for your life and for my life. So you go back to the story, three different encounters, how did those people respond in the story? How did they respond? We have no clue. We don't know, right? Because we're not given that part of the story. It's almost like it's a challenge for us to consider how would I respond. It's almost like, what am I to do with this? Because God's Word, and I think this is really true of these passages, it's, it's almost like this mirror that we have to hold up in front of ourselves to really evaluate our own lives and say, am, am I following Jesus the way He really expects me to? Am I giving Him what, what he, he expects me to do? Or is my comfort too important to me than that commitment to Jesus Christ? Are there, you know, really intimate relationships in my life that I just, you know what, they're more important to me than Jesus Christ? Or, you know, what is pulling me back into my old life that I just don't seem to be able to let go of? The, the call to follow Jesus takes priority over everything else. But imagine what it would be like to step into the kind of life that only God himself can give to us. I mean, again, what God can do, not just in eternity, which is beyond our ability to understand, but what God can do in my heart and life and the change and the transformation and the, the strength and the joy and the peace that God can bring right now is just so far beyond my ability to fully understand. And yet, when I step into that, the things that God does is amazing. 